Hey everybody, I'm Peter, an affluent aristocrat from a family with high expectations. He's Mike, a simple villager from the valley tied to tradition. But even though we have our differences, we still bond over our love of flight. Hi Mike. Hey Pete, welcome to a very special episode of Rebels Rebels, the podcast that explores the Star Wars expanded universe through an episode by episode deep dive into the animated series Star Wars Rebels. I am very, very excited for our guest today, a New York Times bestselling author. Her credits are exhaustive. The Evernight series, Firebird series, Spellcaster series, Defy the Stars, and most importantly to us at least, Star Wars Bloodline, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, Lost Stars, and the upcoming Master and Apprentice. It's Claudia Gray. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, we're uh, we're definitely excited about this. It's no secret to our listeners that Lost Stars and Bloodline are among our most talked about books here on uh, this show. So we're Absolutely. definitely excited. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, so we uh, we thought we'd jump in. We have a, a few questions for us, uh, for you, not for us. That would be interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I said, it's no secret that we consider you and your writing um, to be our collective favorite in the new Star Wars canon. So we were wondering, who are some of your inspirations as a writer? Uh, do you mean specific to Star Wars or just no, generally? Just, just, just in general, like who's inspired you in your life as a writer? It's That is such a tough question to answer <laughs> because if, and I think most writers are like this, if you grew up as this bookish little kid that always had hmm. three books going at a time. Yeah. There are just so many that it's really difficult to go, oh, I definitely was inspired by this here X, yeah. you know. Um, <sighs> I will say when I was young, a book that I think was very formative for me in terms of understanding the different things a story could be was uh, A Wrinkle in Time by oh Madeline Lengel. Because it's such a weird book in yeah. so many ways, uh, you know, it's, it's family drama, it's science fiction, it's this dystopian thing. It's this weird comic surrealism. Uh, it goes all over the place and you never really notice because the story is being true to itself. Mm. And it really, I think, expanded my idea of what books could do and how free mm. you could be to go wherever a story took you. Mm. You're, you're so right that book is so weird in the best way <laughs> mm -hmm. um related to that so not not authors but i really relate to the strong characters in your books i think you have a really good sense of their point of view so i was wondering if there are literary characters it doesn't have to be star wars again that you really like um like an inspirational favorite literary character um you know, I guess for those purposes, it's seeing characters that are drawn really well, really effectively. Um, and there are so many great examples of that. I mean, sort of in the YA realm, a book, I think it was so popular that it's a little bit underrated in terms of its quality right now. But um, the Hunger Games series, mm. if you follow that... You, know, you get a very definite sense of Katniss. She is not generic heroine number nine. You know, she comes from, mm. she is very rooted in the circumstances of her individual life. And as she goes through the books, you know, I mean, eventually she winds up basically with po post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. 
and the way her viewpoints and her descriptions shift, you know, it's really beautifully done to illustrate that and show exactly where she is. And I think it's going to be a while before sort of the luster of Jennifer Lawrence wears off mm. and those books are a little more recognized for sort of how well that's done. But, uh, but of course, you see vivid and incredible characters uh, of all sorts, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes, even mm. he has a very specific worldview, very detailed worldview. And it, it's so specific and it's so almost finicky. It ought to turn, you would think people off, but instead that's what people love. People love what's individual. Mm. They, they need, they need to relate, but they need to have a sense of this particularness, I think in a character to really feel like they know them and care about them. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that, that actually leads perfectly into this next question. Okay. It's something that you touched on and I think is so, uh, something that's so amazing to me about literature is kind of the empathetic skills it builds in someone. It's a way to get outside mm -hmm. of yourself and experience the world. And I can remember in my life reading a book when I was in high school that absolutely changed my life. And so I was wondering for you, was there a person or text or moment in your life that made you have, like, made you realize how powerful storytelling was, or was it just kind of a cumulative uh, experience? Uh, I would say more of a cumulative experience. Um, but there was one sort of incident. Um, you know, I was one of these people who very much wanted to be a writer and kept on not trying to do it, you know, on and on. I tried to do all these other jobs and, you know, got well into my thirties and just wasn't chasing this. And mm -hmm. the whole time I'm being an avid reader and I had developed without ever being conscious of it. I had developed this habit after I finished a book I really loved. I would say to myself, you can never write a book that good. Mm -hmm. you know, why do we do this stuff to ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, the, ourselves? But we do, we do. Yeah. At least I definitely did. And I wasn't conscious of that at all. And then um, I wound up rereading Lolita. I oh, had, man. I had oh. read it like back in college, but I wasn't quite ready for it at that time. And then when I reread it, I realized what a masterfully structured story that is on every level. I mean, it's a detail down to the syllable in terms of the effects he wants. And like English was his fifth language. Yeah, you just want to go like, no how dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> That's um, offensive. But anyway, and I was just blown away by the incredible beauty of this thing. And when I finished it, I said to myself, again, you can never write a book that good. And then this other voice said, well, neither can anybody else, you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden it was just this liberating thing. It's like, okay, somebody else got to the top of the mountain. Nobody has to worry about that. Mm. What if you just tried to tell a story? Yeah. And I really did begin uh, targeting myself toward trying to get published much more in the years after that. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, I know, I know Peter has a follow-up, but, uh, I can relate to that so much. I remember there's three books that I am awed by and they're kind of labyrinthian build. Mm -hmm. Lolita is one of those. Yeah. And Invisible Man is one of those and Turn of the Screw. Mm -hmm. Those three books I don't understand. Um, yeah. Sometimes you're like a human wrote this. <laughs> yeah. A normal human. Really? It, it, when you see it done to that level of excellence. Yeah. That's how I feel about Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of, so the characters to me, I love this. Um, we're releasing this with a bunch of Princess Leia content. Um, okay. And so one thing that I also admire is how you write strong 
female characters in your book. And so I was wondering if you could just speak a little bit to your thoughts on representation and what it's like to write those characters. Yeah, I had I had one interviewer once ask about the strong female presence in my books. And I said, mm -hmm. I don't really have a strong female presence in my books. The other books have a really strong female absence, actually, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and we sort of get used to the idea that there's something extraordinary, I think, about seeing female characters, characters of color, etc., um, portrayed with the same amount of attention and care and agency, et cetera, um, as anybody else. Uh, and it still catches people off guard, you know, to this day. I'm, I was really amused. There was one bloodline review that said, oh, occasionally the token male shows up. And I sat down and I like did it. There's 11 principal characters. Six are female, five are male. Mm. You know, oh, and wow. one of those is <laughs> Ransom Castrofo, who is very much almost, you know, he's almost like a second lead in that thing. Totally. Um, you know, and I was just like that, you know, but it was outweighed a little bit. And so to this guy, that just looked like, oh, you know, token guys, when really it was probably about like 42% guys. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really, I think... I don't really think there's anything so much extraordinary that I do. I, I just, I try to think about what would this person do? And I don't filter it through some sense of, you know, but they're X. Um, mm. I mean, so that's what it seems like to me anyway. Uh, mm. Somebody else might have more insight into how I do that or why I do that or if I do that. But uh, to me, it just sort of seems like, of course, Princess Leia would would make these decisions and do these things. You know, uh, of course she would. Um, she's a dynamic character. She's mm -hmm. somebody who's a huge leader by the time we meet her at age 19. This is mm. this is not a person who sits around and waits for things to happen. Absolutely. Wow. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, whatever you're doing, it's definitely needed in this time <laughs> in our world. <laughs> um, it's also another um, awesome character who you got to do uh, work with. Holdo was introduced in your book, uh, yeah. Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Mm. What was it like to work with Lucasfilm to create that character? And how does it feel to see then her translated onto the big screen? Well, I mean, she existed in in the last jedi script before i ever started on the book so uh and yeah and they said that she was something of a non-conformist you know and i got to see pictures of her i was allowed to read the script you know about a year in advance which was mm. pretty cool um <laughs> and has never happened before since wow. but um <laughs> but uh you know and sort of get a sense of her and i liked the idea that she would be you know if she was already if, if by the time she was you know at that age and i don't know exactly what age hollow is supposed to be there you know and she's a general and she's still a little bit quirky and mm. and has purple hair and etc <laughs> yeah i was like okay take this person back to basically you know like early high school age, like she would have, that would have been like quirk times a thousand. And <laughs> I also thought it was a good thing to have Leia have somebody who was fundamentally a little bit more lighthearted and whimsical because mm. that's, that's not Leia's first uh, mode in terms of dealing with the world. She's, she's about business. And I think uh, she, 
I think she likes that. I think you get to see more sides of her character when you see her bouncing off somebody who's very different from her. You know, I mean, that's a big part of the appeal of her and Han, of course. Mm. And, you know, Haldo, that's a very, not the same kind of bounce, but somebody who had a fundamentally different personality, but at the same time, very much had the same principles and ideals and about, and I thought that was a very true sort of coming of age thing, learning to respect and see the value in people that don't necessarily approach life the way that you Mm. do. Fascinating. Hmm. Um, So you've been touching on some of the things you like about Leia specifically, but just generally speaking, what's it like to work with existing characters that you know people love and are invested in? Yeah, I, I think my standing joke about that was the best thing about writing Princess Leia is everyone knows and loves her. And the worst thing about writing Princess Leia is everyone <laughs> knows and loves her. Um, you know, I mean, on the one hand, I, you know, I saw Star Wars for the first time, I think, when I was six or seven. And, you know, went over the moon for it because that's the exact age to just have it take over your brain forever. Hmm. And that was the initial release, of course. So the entire country went insane over it you know it was everywhere all the time and so you know and that never left me it never did and so i feel like to some extent i've spent my whole life going you know how would princess leia do this and then finally somebody Mm. came along and was like how about how about you write that down you know how about you actually (laughs) turn that into your job because you've been asking what life would be like for princess leia essentially forever Mm -hmm. um i mean it's it's great in a lot of ways people are going to have some different takes on characters and that's fair and that's how it should be to some degree there are even some people who talk about writing that say you know the to an extent, the creator only comes up with half the character and the reader, the viewer comes up with the other half mm. because how they perceive this, uh, I, that might be, I don't know if I'd go 50, 50 with it, but there's a lot of truth to that. But I just kind of had to try and be true to, to her or when I wrote Han to Han to the way that I had always thought of them and felt about them based on watching the movies ad infinitum and reading so much of the old EU, et cetera. Mm. And thankfully, you know, a lot of people have, have enjoyed that and recognized that, which is a real honor. You know, it's a responsibility, but at the same time, you can go play the movie and you can listen to the character talk, which, you know, you don't get that luxury with your original stuff (laughs) to be like, Oh, please speak up characters. I just finished a book where one of the characters didn't speak up until like the third draft. And (laughs) thank you, Mm -hmm. sir. Sorry. Slide aside. No, no, it's fascinating. Well, um, kind of conversely, um, you wrote Lost Stars, which introduces mm-hmm. a lot of new characters, which is uh, personally, and probably Peter, I'm speaking for you as well, mm-hmm. one of my fa- my favorite book in the Star Wars canon. One of the things I really like about Lost Stars is how the you tell the events of the original trilogy from different perspectives. And most yeah. interestingly to us, uh, we get that imperial perspective, um, but more than just an imperial perspective, can you talk a little bit about humanizing the quote unquote bad guys and mm. what that was like? Cause that was so interesting. Yeah. Um, basically when you do a star Wars book, I think a lot of people think, Oh, they give you this big outline, which is mm. not the case at all. Usually you're given like a two sentence prompt <laughs> and then you <laughs> build it from there. You know, uh, it very much is your story, mm. you know, and then they go, Ooh, that actually conflicts with Canon, you know, here or there. Mm. But for the most part, you really build it. And, 
they came to me for with the idea for Lost Stars, and they're like, listen, we want this aristocratic, really troubled, angry guy, you know, and this more idealistic young girl, and they've been friends since childhood, you know, and, but then he winds up joining the Empire, and she joins the Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And I came back immediately and was like, the idealistic girl has to be the one in the Empire, and has to be the angry guy in the Rebellion. And they immediately were like, okay, show us that. <laughs> um, because that's just more interesting, isn't it? You know, originally, they were like, oh, it should be like Rolf and the Sound of Music. And I'm like, nobody <laughs> ever cared what happened to Rolf. I really, you know? hope, I really hope they actually said that to you. Yeah, like Rolf, Rolf, you know, we all sort of hope Rolf got it at Nuremberg, really. That's oh. the extent of our hopes for Rolf. No, for sure. Um, yeah. You know, but, um, you know, it's more interesting to ask yourself, what is a fundamentally good person doing in this? Because, you know, hmm. what is it like? There are millions of people serving on every single Star Destroyer. Yeah, geez. You know, I mean, the size of the Imperial Starfleet is just enormous. And you have to assume, like, not all of these people are sort of cackling and twirling their mustaches, you know, all the time. And so, okay, what did somebody who, and I knew that she had to sort of come from this cultural background of really valuing loyalty and honor. Because to her, you know, the empire is the state, you know, this is the government, the, and people are, you know, planting bombs and attacking, you know, they're, they do look like terrorists if you're within the imperial structure. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also I thought, you know, really, if you're talking about joining something like the rebellion, you know, the person who's the cynic is maybe a little quicker to see the flaws in the system. You know, to sort of see through the veil of it. So, uh, so that got to sort of get Thane into that space. But yeah, it was it was interesting to sort of see. You know, Sienna, how much does it chip away at her sense of honor and what's right? And in her case, it doesn't that much. But you see, you know, like you see Nash. Windrider, the other character uh, who begins very sympathetically in the Empire, you see how different events sort of tear him down and turn him into the archetypal imperial mm. officer yeah. by the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Sienna can never quite convince herself of that. Mm-hmm. But she also can't convince herself that the rebels are necessarily positively doing the right thing. And yeah. and Thane himself, he's never okay with the fact that Luke Skywalker blew up the Death Star. Ever. <laughs> you know, I, don't think, I don't think I would be either, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had a lot of friends and who were young people who didn't understand really what was going on and they all died and he may understand, okay, that was a thing that had to happen in the war, but he's never going to be like my hero, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and yeah. so... Uh, it was fun to to build that. Some people that were looking at these events in a wholly different way. Honestly, my favorite part of the whole thing was the, you know, at the end for the Battle of Endor. And they're like, yeah, General Calrissian's leading this. And he's like, who is that? Like, oh, you don't know Lando Calrissian? No, I don't. I don't know who that is. And they're like, and General Solo's doing this. And he's like, well, who's that? You know, because <laughs> he joined up right around Hoth. They're like, oh, yeah, he was gone most of the time that you were here. Because to him, he's like, Okay, they just turned over the most important stuff in this war to somebody, you know, the vast majority of the troops have never met. Yeah, with no, with no credentials, too. <laughs> exactly. It's like, wait, what? You know, and, and it was fun to sort of have you know, somebody there to be able to stop and say that and be like, huh, what's mm-hmm. going on? I, I love to that. be fair, he has a fast ship. 
Yeah, oh. he does have a fast ship. Although, um, wait, Lando, Lando does. <laughs> yeah. Now I just feel like now I just feel like Han Solo is Betty DeBoss, like DeBoss. I'm like, she just got there because of their friends. No, that's feel dark, that man. Now I just feel a little bit Han Solo. Honestly, no. like if I could change. Well, if I could change one thing mm. in Return of the Jedi, I would return Yubnub to its former place of glory. Oh. Um, but if so I could sad. change two things, the second thing I would change is I would have General Leia being the one in charge of mm. the thing on Endor. One, because it makes more sense. She's mm. been a military leader the whole time. But two, I really like I really feel very cheated that we didn't see the moment when Han decides, that, yeah, I'm in. Mm, no, yeah. we don't see it. He just sort of does this on his own. And then like, oh, we find out about it after that. But I think it would have been really interesting to have her be like, yeah, I'm leading this mission. This is going on. And he's been rescued. He has an out if he wants an out, you know, and mm-hmm. to see that moment where he said, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to go mm-hmm. in for the rebellion. Uh, but uh, I, nobody's listening to me. I mean, Yub Nub maybe someday we'll get <laughs> if, if, yeah. well, if that the leads. universe allows. Yeah. Well, that leads me nicely actually into our last thing. So we do this little grading scale whenever we talk about an episode where to set the stage, we talk about our least favorite thing in Star Wars and our favorite thing in Star Wars. And then we on that scale, we pick something uh, that this episode corresponds to. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, we always say all Star Wars is good Star Wars. Even bad Star Wars is better than most things. So, Mm -hmm. you know. We're not saying like this, this sucks, but Mm -hmm. what is your favorite thing in Star Wars right now? And maybe your least favorite thing. Okay. I got to think about Mm. that for a little bit. Um, Definitely emphasis. We emphasize the least favorite thing because it's still on the favorite scale. It's just your least favorite. Mm. I guess my least favorite thing is the quote unquote romantic dialogue between Anakin and Padme and Attack (laughs) of the Clones. It's just not good it's really and it's and it's doubly tragic because in that movie that's all you're given with to identify with anakin Mm -hmm. like you know he's going to turn into darth vader and you need something to make you feel sympathetic toward him and see this you know this great side to him and so the fact you know so it's more than just a limp romantic storyline it denies you Mm -hmm. the one chance you had to really invest which is why one reason why the clone wars is so terrific you do get the time in the room in the space to really care about anakin mm-hmm. and see how great he could be uh but yeah that love story that's just not good i would have to say that that is the worst uh the very best the very very bestest thing i have to think about this a lot Ooh, i'm not gonna talk within story then i'm gonna pull it out and i'm gonna say john williams Mm. oh that's totally fair right yeah yeah that guy he's at the top of the pyramid you know let let's face it he he really is that that music especially for the first two trilogies Mm -hmm. uh, that that music is a huge part of the story in a way that i don't think it is in any other movie ever really Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah And all the other movies I can think of where it is, he also did. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's yeah. he's phenomenal. He's the best. I mean, who, you know, that first movie, it's like, we need an alien pop song. And he was like, I know, a Charleston with kettle drums. You know, it's like, <laughs> what, sir? You know, that's, that's just a genius. Yeah. Actually, um, I have a last question, part two. Um, okay. Can you please tell us everything about Master and Apprentice? I can tell you two things about Master and Apprentice. We'll, ta- we'll uh, take them. Okay, we'll take it. 
Well, uh, first of all, as you know, it's about, obviously, it's about Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan in the years before The Phantom Menace, Mm -hmm. uh, when Obi-Wan in particular is a lot younger and sort of more unfinished, I guess, than we've ever seen him. Uh, And I guess the other thing is it's a real look at the Old Republic. Hmm. Because this is before the shadows have started to creep in or before most people are seeing the cracks. You know, Um, we may see them because of our perspective. But, you know, this is a time and place where most people are like, of course, the universe is always going to continue just as it has now. Like this is the way it has been for thousands of years. And so it was sort of interesting to go into that mindset of like how what it was like to have that sort of peace and security and of course also to take some things very much for granted uh in that space Hmm. so it was fun to be able to think about the galaxy at that time Mm. holy crap i'm so excited yeah Yeah. Yeah, and that's That's 100 of what i can tell you that's okay amazing Great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you spending some time and talking to us. Um, Thank you for reaching out to me. This was fun. Is there, where would you like people to find you on the internet? What would you like to promote? Let people know about? Uh, Let's see. I am not as active on social media as I used to be, but (laughs) I still keep a pretty active Instagram and Tumblr at least. And my, uh, Twitter is updated to sort of reflect places I'll be and stuff that I'm doing. So um, really, I would suggest going to my website, which is ClaudiaGray.com. That's gray with an A. And there are buttons there that link to all the different kinds of social media that I have at all. And so I would advocate like just tapping into that. And then you're like, oh, I have an Instagram. Then you can just go to the Instagram and get that. Oh, I have Pinterest. We'll go to Pinterest. And, you know, because like I have Mm -hmm. a board where I put... I, a lot of just Star Wars images, but also when books come out, I put up images of the actors I imagine as different characters. Oh, so that, you know, you can, you, yeah, like, oh, you know, of course, Ransom Castorfo is Tom Hiddleston. How did I not see it? That's but, exactly uh, who I pictured when I was reading him, by that's, the way. That's exactly that's who great. it is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I saw Crimson Peak while I was writing that and it was like, done, <laughs> over. But, so uh, yeah, that, that should be where you go. And I guess uh, what you should know I, you know, I do have my original stuff. If you ever want to mm-hmm. check out the YA, we've got Space Adventure with the Defy the Stars and a girl, um, the daughter of two famous scientists chasing her father's killer through alternate dimensions in the Firebird <laughs> series. Uh, that's oh. fascinating. It Amazing. was fun. Um, well, yeah. Thank you again so much. And to all our listeners, thank you. You know, you can check out uh, us at Rebels Rebels Pod at Gmail on instagram at twitter our space odyssey pin is still up on our web store as of two days ago so go grab that yep um check out our instagram and twitter for links to that store and pick up your pin also we are doing a contest right now if you would like to podcast with us please leave us an itunes review and give us your grading scale as well and we will have you on a deep dive episode and you get to pick whatever you want to talk about and it will be great And remember, until next time, be brave out there and don't look back. Don't look back.